This is the Indicates Climate Crisis Podcast, where student reporters interview people about the climate crisis. We talk to activists, organizers, scientists, and reporters about how climate change has affected them and us. Hi, my name is Luca, and I'm in the sixth grade. I wanted to learn more about the climate crisis because I found it really interesting. My aunt was getting chemotherapy at a hospital in Paradise, California, and then it burned down. And so her whole chemo regimen had to be moved to another hospital and it was delayed and all of her records were hard to access. You know, that's an example of how we think of this on like really global, big picture ways, but it actually has really intimate impacts on people's lives. You know, it's not like this abstract thing when it happens to you. That's Katie Worth. I am an investigative journalist and the author of the book, Miseducation, How Climate Change is Taught in America. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I'm so glad you're interested in the subject. Yeah. So how did like the climate crisis actually come into your understanding uh, or your life? And then how were you affected by it? I didn't really learn much about the climate crisis in my own schooling. And I'd love to hear if you guys have learned much about it in your own schooling. But I... um, I kind of saw some movies and started reading about it and got pretty scared about it um, in the mid 2000s, I would say. And then I actually happened to be from a town called Chico, California, which is in Northern California. And it is in the same county that a whole town burned down because of um, a wildfire that the experts say was probably contributed to by Uh, the droughts and the kind of shorter rainy seasons that have been happening in California because of climate, the climate crisis. So um, that definitely has transformed my hometown and it's begun to affect lots of our lives in big ways and small. What inspired you to uh, go into the school systems and write about and learn about the kind of miseducation that's happening? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a journalist and I worked uh, for many years for a PBS program called Frontline. And while I was there, I was um, sent on assignment to the Marshall Islands, which is a small Pacific Island nation. Um, and it is, it's kind of like, most prominent feature is that it's very low lying. So like there's nowhere on the islands that's more than like 15 feet above sea level or 20 feet above sea level. So as you can imagine, it's very vulnerable to sea level rise. These big storms come through, wash all the way across the island, destroy lots of things. And while we were there doing um, a film project that eventually was called The Last Generation, we talked to a lot of kids and the kids could speak very... Uh, fluently about the climate crisis in a way that not even a lot of the adults that I know can. And, um, and so two of them, actually, their families were considering moving to the U.S. 
And so the question arose like, well, okay, what are they gonna learn about the climate crisis if they go to school in Oklahoma, which is where they were considering moving. Um, and, uh, and so that sort of was one of the things that sparked my interest in trying to figure out what is happening in schools when it comes to educating kids about climate change. So when you say that kids were being misinformed about the climate crisis, what kind of implications does that have? And also, um, what are some examples of the miseducation that are happening in schools? Yeah, those are great questions. We know that about a third of science teachers who do teach climate change say that they teach it as a debate. And that's a problem because scientists don't debate climate change. That's not a thing that they debate at this point. We know that if the temperatures are going up. That's There's no other theory. Um, and they know that it's human caused, right? So to ask kids to debate something that adults don't actually, or, you know, scientists don't debate is a real problem. And we also know that about a quarter of American kids aged 14 to 17 reject the idea that the climate crisis is a crisis. I was in a classroom in Arkansas when um, seventh grade science classroom, when a guest speaker showed up to speak to the seventh grade science class, and she was, you know, an employee of the Arkansas oil and gas lobby. And so she came and gave a presentation about um, her industry. And some of it was really legitimate. I mean, you know, important things for kids to learn, like this is how you extract oil from the ground. You know, this is the technology that's used. This is where you can find fossil fuels, other fuels, et cetera. But then she also came to a part of her lecture where she really downplayed the climate crisis to the students in that class. And um, those kids, um, you know, probably walked out of that room with this idea that the climate crisis wasn't that big of a deal, that it wasn't going to affect their life, that it was, it was much more important to continue to um, produce oil than it was to deal with this problem of climate change. And that's doing them a disservice because that's just not true, right? Climate crisis is real. It's here. It will affect their lives, whether or not, whatever they learn, you know? And so that is um, an example of a way that kids were being miseducated um, and that it will not serve them well, because maybe those kids, she really, um, you know, pushed this idea like, oh, there's so many jobs in fossil fuels and go work on an oil derrick and you'll make $100,000 a year. And all the kids were very excited about that. But the truth is, there's also a lot of jobs in solar and wind in Arkansas and other renewable energies. There will be far more jobs in those industries than in the um, fossil fuel industry over time. So those kids didn't learn that in school, though. So they may be misdirected for their own career. And of course, the implications are also that we won't have those kids helping to solve the problem if they are miseducated. And that really does speak true because in my school, the 
at least in the sixth grade, the climate crisis isn't really being talked about that much in school. And um, like, I personally know about it, but I know a lot of kids that are like, even what is the climate crisis, you know? Have you ever heard about it in school? Um, I mean, from the teachers a little bit, uh, I had to write an essay about a hero. I wrote about Greta Thunberg and Great. like how she like boycotted schools and all of that. But also I wrote an article about critical race theory and why it should be taught in school and why it's not being taught in schools. So I'm curious on is the same system or or is it in the same places that critical race theory is being stopped from being taught, making misinformation about the climate crisis happen? Yeah, wow, that's such a good question, Luca. Um, I think that there is overlap there. And in both cases, there's kind of like these adult politics, like these politics that are very partisan and people very ideologically, you know, entrenched people, they are really trying to influence what kids learn. And in a way that's not really consistent with the truth, right? So, you know, the truth is that there is systemic racism in this country. That's the truth. There's no getting around it. And, you know, there is a movement to not tell kids that truth or to hide that truth from kids or to mislead them about that. And you can say the same thing about climate change, that there is really no arguing. There's no evidence that anything but humans are causing the um, recent rise in in temperatures. Um, And yet there's people trying to kind of hide that truth from from kids in their education. So I think it is coming from the same political, like really ideological political place that turned education and what kids learn into this like football, you know, that they're fighting over and kids pay the price for that. Well, I don't understand. And what I'm actually really curious about is like, why would people teach kids climate denialism? a really good question too. You're good at this. Um, I wonder the same thing. And what I've come to believe is that, you know, there's just so much money writing on this, right? So like, okay. So if you can get just a portion of the population to not believe in climate change, then there's no action taken, right? Because you're not going to overhaul the entire economy, the entire world, if you're not totally sure that it's worth it, you know? And so if you can just get a a small percentage, like 25%, 30% of the population to just be like, oh, that's just a bunch of hooey, then you can stop action. And action, what action means is Like truly we should, if we want to forestall the worst outcomes of the climate crisis, we have to leave some fuels in the ground. Like we we can't extract them and sell them and make a bunch of money off of them. We actually have to leave them in the ground. And that is a matter of trillions of dollars, trillions and trillions of dollars. So this is not a neutral issue where it's like this 
you know, there's people who have a lot of money writing on there not being regulation, they're not being action taken, right? And there's a great quote, um, it's difficult to get someone to understand something when their salary depends on them not understanding it. It might be by Upton Sinclair, I think it is. And so like that sort of, you know, like people have a real motivation to not understand this issue because there's a there's a lot riding on it so with all of this going on with all the misinformation all the climate denialism and the fact that people are trying to have people not believe in it uh because they don't want to um like waste money what if anything like gives you hope um that the younger generations will end up taking charge and actually uh, dealing with the climate crisis? I think that part of it is that the climate crisis is very obvious to young people, right? Or not, you know, 20 years ago or 40 years ago, this thing felt like it was like somewhere way off in the future when we're, we're the kids at that time were like, when we're old people, maybe we'll be dealing with this, right? And now it's happening right now, right in front of our eyes. And humans have this real capacity to make change when they need to. And we have made change. We've, we've made progress on this. And we're definitely not going to stop this crisis from happening at all, it's already happening. But there's a really big difference between a world that warms two degrees Celsius and a world that warms five degrees Celsius, right? Those are two radically different worlds. And we are already taking actions to prevent a five degree world. And I really do have a lot of faith in young people who have their whole lives ahead of them and want to make sure that it's good, you know, and, and it's good for their kids and grandkids. And so I think I have hope because we have to make change now. It's not an option anymore. We have to do it. And I think humans tend to take action when they have to. Yeah. So that actually ties into my next question really well. So what kind of measures are people taking to deal with the climate crisis? Um, And people meaning uh, people at home, but also like big corporate structures. And what can people do to deal with it? There haven't been like huge sweeping changes uh, to our entire world yet, but it's happening slowly. And you know, like transportation is the number one emitter in the U.S. of carbon emissions. And, you know, there's been this electric revolution. More and more cars are becoming electric. In 20 more years, they'll almost all be electric, you know. Um, And there's efforts uh, to... There's like efforts to put pressure, for example, on banks that finance fossil fuel companies and get them to withhold funding for those projects, things like that. And my understanding of it is like, yes, there's all things that each of us can do to, to make changes in our small way, like eating vegan, for example, or, you know, might be, is a way to cut down on carbon emissions or, um, 
you know, turning off the lights, things like that. But if we spend a lot of time and energy focused on those individual actions, we're not going to get there. What we need is to look for systemic change. And that's why Greta Thunberg is so visionary and important because she's not just like, oh, I'll eat vegetarian. She's like, we need to change the system and we're going to take action until it happens. We're going to put pressure on the adults. We're going to make them feel uncomfortable until they feel like they have to take action. And so like looking at it in this bigger, putting, taking political action, um, making demands, uh, that is what spurs societal change. And so, uh, like speaking about uh, the kind of actions that, um, like political parties can take, uh, like like what kind of things are they doing currently to help the climate crisis? I can speak to climate education and I can say, I'll give you two examples. One is this program in Washington state called Climb Time. And the, the, the governor and the legislature of Washington state have put millions of dollars into it. And what it does is it gives training to every teacher in the state at, that touches on how to incorporate the climate crisis, education about climate crisis in their classroom, right? And so that's really important because a lot of teachers didn't learn about it themselves in school. They don't really know how to incorporate it in their classrooms. But if they get, um, you know, go to a seminar, they get some ideas, some lesson plans, then they can start educating kids about it. And then kids can, you know, like, so that's a thing that has ripple effects. Like once people understand it, then there's a better chance of taking action, right? So then a second example is there's a really cool pro program called Schools for Climate Action. And they are, I think they're based in Sonoma County, California, uh, but it's a student run group. And they um, have really worked on getting school boards, state legislatures, even federal, the, the Congress to add climate change to their curriculum and to push forward on climate education. So these kids will go and talk to their state legislatures, legislators or their Congress members and ask for them to sign on to a bill that they wrote, that the kids wrote, you know, and they're having quite a lot of success. And, um, uh, you know, because I think that when adults see kids right in front of them saying, this is not okay, they pay attention. So those are two examples of programs that I think are really effective and have real potential for change. So we're pretty much out of time. Uh, so I would like to uh, thank you for your amazing answers to my questions. And yeah. Yeah, well, I want to thank you for your amazing questions. And it's been really a delight to talk to you. Where Where are you? Are you in New York? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm coming in from Queens. Okay, awesome. Um, I'm sad to hear that you're not learning about it yet in school, but maybe that'll happen in the years to come. Yeah. Um, and I really hope that you stick with journalism. And if I can ever be a resource to you, please let me know. All right. Thank you. 
I'd like to thank my mentor, Emily, for helping me make this podcast episode. This podcast was produced by Indie Kids, a nonprofit 501c3 organization that creates social justice news for kids by kids. In addition to this podcast, Indie Kids has a newspaper. Go to our website at www.indiekids.org to read the latest issue or to sign up for one of our writing or podcasting workshops. We're able to do this work and provide our student scholarships thanks to grants, workshop tuition, and individual donors. If you're able, make a tax-deductible donation to Indie Kids today. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Indie Kids News. See you next time.